0: Welcome back to Boilers Extra. I'm Nathan Baird from the Drone Courier, along with Mike Carmen, our colleague who covers the football team on a daily basis. And fairly big game coming up on Friday night for Purdue. Really? Any <laughs> any tickets left at this point? Are we uh,
1: all single? All singles right okay. now. Now th- more tickets could open up, and we're uh, taping this on Tuesday. Uh, I guess it depends if Ohio State sends back any of its
0: allotment. So there could be together seats mm-hmm. opening up. Uh, if you want to go sit with the Ohio State fans, which well, is actually going to be a pretty giant swath of the crowd,
1: I think, yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, anyway. I would think that they're going to make a presence here. Uh, although I wrote this earlier in the week. I, I think Ohio State fans get more nervous coming to Purdue than they do Michigan.
0: Maybe. Things have not gone well for well, them. Well,
1: I mean, if you look in the, last, uh, it's the seven, last seven trips they've made here, they've lost three times. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is their first trip here since 2013, when they just steamrolled right. and could have scored 100. Right, surprised they didn't score 100. Uh, that would have been Daryl's first year. It was 56 to nothing at the time. Was the most points a visiting team had given up? That number was eventually topped by Penn State mm-hmm. a few years later when they <laughs> when they hung 62. Uh, On the uh, on on Purdue, but uh, yeah, I I think I think Ohio State fans get a little bit nervous coming to Purdue because they've seen they've seen some strange things happened. They've seen Purdue rise up and Ryan Kerrigan become a one man show and knock Terrell Pryor around and Purdue ends up winning that game. And, uh, you know, one of the they won an overtime game with Robert Marv, at quarterback, and so just a lot of a uh, lot of strange things, and I think you, I think you go back to 2002, where Ohio State needed a late long touchdown from Craig Krenzel to beat Purdue 10 to six, and the Buckeyes went on to win the national championship that year. So it's not a house of horrors for them in any stretch, but um, I do think they're the way Purdue is playing right now, uh, and the way Ohio State has played. They're probably a little
0: skittish about about this game. Some of that is just life at the top. Every level of sports, you hear this. When you're the best teams, you become the biggest game on everybody else's schedule. Right. And that's usually the case. When whenever Ohio State and Purdue play almost every time, Purdue has everything to gain and nothing to lose. And I think that's probably gonna be the case again on Saturday. At the same time, I'm kinda you know, people are making this is the biggest game in for Purdue since I don't know when. Well, I would actually argue it's their biggest game since the first one. Well, yeah, or 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 going back to last year when they're three and six and they have to win out on right. with a quarterback on a as it turns out torn ACL. I mean, each of those games was pretty huge, and then you play a bowl game. This I, the ramifications for Purdue are not as huge here because it's a game they were expected to lose since the schedule came out or since since both of these programs had football basically, <laughs> unfortunately. So, I, but in, in, but then when you look at it in the context of when's the last time Purdue played like a mid season game with this much. Important. This much importance isn't the right word, but just kind of this much kind of electricity around it. Possibly a Saturday night, completely sold out, most likely um, ABC game against the number two team in the country. It's just going to be a a, 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 some some energy in that stadium. I think on Saturday that hasn't been there a little while. Well, it hadn't been there since the first game against
1: Northwestern, and I I compare this game a little bit to that with with the hype. You only have a week of it, but with the Northwestern game, you had. the whole off season of, of buildup, um, and there was a lot at stake in that in that game. And there's there's a lot at stake for Ohio State because how deep they are in the season now. They're mm-hmm. seven games in. They have their bye coming up next week. They still have to play, I believe, Michigan State, and they still have to play uh, Michigan at the end of the year. But the deeper you get in the season, you can't you, afford slip ups. You can't you can't lose if you're right. going to be in that college football playoff. And there are ramifications for Purdue now since Wisconsin lost last week. Purdue's one of four teams, mm-hmm. I believe, that with one loss in the West.
0: Wisconsin, Purdue, Northwestern, and uh, Iowa.
1: Right. So if somehow Purdue's able to win this game on Saturday, you start discussing winning the Big Ten West because you do have Iowa and you have Wisconsin coming up. You still have Michigan State and some other teams, but – you throw yourself you you throw yourself into the deep end in that conversation at that point, and then you know. Although Purdue's being mentioned a little bit right now, I don't think anybody's really taking it seriously until they they beat an Ohio State or a Michigan State, right. or if you get to that Wisconsin game at the end of November, and you're a game behind or you're tied or or, or whatever, um, then then you're then you're part of that discussion. So both teams. Need this win, I mean, obviously Ohio State is much more talented <laughs> and in the bigger picture have more more at stake than purdue, mm-hmm. but in purdue's little world it, it there's there's a lot at stake here and they and they are playing better albeit against illinois nebraska uh and you know they beat Boston College pretty well, so they're just playing better right now, so they, they bring a lot of confidence to this game, but they're going have to they're going have to do some things. Um, they haven't done um, the last three games and Ohio State's gonna have to
0: turn the ball over and, and do some things it hasn't done in the in the first seven games. So before we talk too much more about this specific matchup, let's kind of look at how we got here, how Purdue got here. Uh, not just you know the forty six to seven win over Illinois on Saturday, which like you said, that's your third straight. All been convincing wins after an 0 three start. So there is some momentum building here. But just let's reflect on the first half of the season. You know, I think it obviously didn't necessarily unfold in the form that we thought it would. But if we had said before the year that Purdue would be three and three at this point, you'd kind of shrug your shoulders and say, "Okay, that's that's ballpark three three four and two, That's that's where you would probably expect this team to be. Yeah, no question. I think we we said it earlier in the year that four and
1: two and three and three were probably the uh, the high watermarks uh, for this team. I don't, I don't think anybody counted on a. A loss to Eastern Michigan, uh, but I I think I've said it and I've probably written it that the fact that they were zero and three and they lost to Eastern Michigan allowed them to get to this point. I think if they started playing better. They they did some more self uh, evaluation of themselves and including the coaching staff. And I you know I think we've seen a different a different team on offense the last four games and a different team on defense the last. Uh, three games, but they got they dug themselves in a hole. They've they've come back to sea level, um, in, in part because of a change of mindset on offense. Uh, the way David Blau is playing at quarterback position, obviously Rondell Moore, he was a you know he was a factor. Even he's been a fa- he's been a factor since the beginning, even when they were losing those games. But the more big plays that he has produced has allowed other people. Uh, to get involved in the offense and be in more favorable matchups. You know, I think Isaac Zico probably is the one player that has taken the most steps uh, in a positive way uh, since the beginning of the year. If you look at his kind of his four-game stretch since the Missouri game, got a pair of 100-yard receiving games. I think he's got 18 catches, should have had a third touchdown Mm -hmm. on Saturday that I was surprised was not reviewed after – now, I didn't see it at the time, but seeing the replay after afterwards, it looked like he had one foot in, and that would have been a touchdown. I think Purdue ended up uh, getting a field goal out of that drive, so instead of forty-six to seven, you're winning fifty to seven. Looks better. <laughs> you, you hang a fifty yeah. burger on Lovie Smith's beard at that point. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean that's just kind of general thoughts of, where, of at least offensively what they've done. The running game has. I think Ben has been above average. Now, in the Missouri game, they didn't run it at all because they just they were they were intent on passing the game, but you know, DJ Knox 150 yards last week, and I think if you look at the the two previous games against Boston College and Nebraska, the running game got some got some productive yards out of Markel Jones and DJ Knox, and now we're starting to see a little bit of Alexander Horvath uh, like we did last week. So, there's three running backs right there. In the mix and I think the offensive line has held up uh, pretty well um, they're, they're not gonna you know they, they've got bigger challenges coming up this week and then down the road but they've, they've produced quarterbacks have been sacked 12 times that's not all on the offensive line David Bau has hung on on the ball too long on a couple of those even Sindelar when he was playing uh, I think held on to the ball uh, too long so uh, but overall I think the offensive line um, is doing well I would like to see more players rotated in but at this point I think they're just going going with what they know, who they trust and that's just going to be the way it is. You get in you get into a season and you have a chance to to maybe make something of it where at the beginning you're like, yeah, you know, let's rotate eight people in there and get that. No, you got a chance to <laughs> you got a chance to continue your momentum and I think that will probably hurt them down the road as you get into the next season, but nobody's really thinking about that right now.
0: Well, you, you try to get that bowl game because then that helps you get extra practices that where you can maybe make up for that. I mean, that's again, this is what happens when you lose a game you're not supposed to early. It throws off the trajectory a little bit, and you have to adjust, and I think that's, that's part of that. Um, for those who are readers of J.C. Online and the Journal and Courier Beyond – um just being listeners to this podcast. Um if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you can go to the site and um, Karma's already posted his um mid season superlatives for offense, his 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 That's his a <laughs> That's a big word that I have I didn't use. Well and I had you to go back Google and change it. it. You can Google it when we're done. <laughs> um, and um, so before the season you had picked Rondo Moore as the guy that you thought would be the offensive player of the year for Purdue. where does that stand at midseason?
1: Well at, at midseason um I I picked an MVP and it's David Blau. Um and that's not, <laughs> for no, offense or for overall? No just, just the offense. Okay. Um and that's not to discount anything Rondell's done because he's been fantastic. Uh but I just you know I the offense begins and ends with the quarterback and I think David has uh, you know, he got he, he wasn't the starter at the beginning of the year, and it appeared that they were going to go with Sindelar for the long term until those three interceptions against Northwestern. Then they both played against Eastern Michigan, and Sindelar was going to be the quarterback when they played Missouri but suffered an injury the Wednesday before, and David has taken that and run with it, and, uh, and he's played well. Uh, just two interceptions – in the last four games one was on a trick play against Missouri the other one was a tip pass in the secondary uh, against Illinois but he's been uh, he's been efficient he's completing 68 69 percent of his passes he's pushed the ball downfield um, I just think he's he's the guy right now that's making this offense go in conjunction with Braum being more aggressive and willing to take more shots down the field and. Uh, guys have stepped up and made plays uh, along with that. So David's kind of my, uh, or he is my MVP of the first half on the offensive side.
0: I think that's the right call. That's probably who I would pick. And I think you could make the case for him, even if he wasn't playing as well, even if he had just brought some stability to that position and just taking some of the uncertainty out of it and and given them an answer that they could rely on day, week in, week out. Because three weeks into the season, when we thought quarterback was going to be a position of strength, that had become sort of this position of uh, unease for, for this team. And he came in and answered that. And then throw on top of that how well he's playing. I mean, he's yeah. playing the best football that he's ever played at Purdue and doing it consistently. Um, you know, he isn't turning the ball over and is, getting, and is distributing the ball in this offense the way it's supposed to be distributed. He's playing like, I mean, frankly, he's playing like a multi-season starter veteran like you would ex- kind of expect, I suppose, at this point. Like he would probably expect of himself to be playing
1: right and is it because he's been the only guy the last four games is is that the reason why he doesn't have to look over his shoulder you know you ask him those questions and they all say that's not a big deal you know they did do it last year back and forth but you know he's able to play against illinois the team that broke his ankle in 25 different pieces Mm -hmm. uh last year so that was a big moment for him to to get some redemption just for him personally to play well against illinois and for purdue to win the way they did but he he's got as they all do they've got a they really have to up their game in the second half of the season because of the type of defenses they're going to face and just the overall talent they they're going to they're see from uh, uh the, the the teams they play the next six
0: games so i assume if you're giving a a freshman of the year a newcomer, newcomer of newcomer of the year um probably not having to go to a second ballot at the convention to decide who wins that this year. Yeah. It was, uh, in the vote of one, it was overwhelming. Number one,
1: Rondell Moore, a hundred percent of the vote, hundred percent of the vote went it's to like Rondell Kim Jong-un. Moore. <laughs> yes. I'm not always the dictator. Uh, but yeah, Rondell, he was clearly, you gotta, you going to find a spot for Rondell in your mid season awards, regardless if it's the MVP, if it's the newcomer, if it's, uh, so Rondo gets a couple mentions. First of all, he's a newcomer, which, duh. And then he gets the top play of the year because top play of the midseason, uh, the, the catch against Boston College, uh, where he he took a short pass from, from Blau and uh, bounced off a defender, and then nobody in the stadium could catch him after that. thought about the jet sweep against Northwestern because that, that kind of introduced him to college football uh at that stage mm-hmm. I mean, he made the first guy miss and then started his little high stepping stuff that he does and no one could catch him from that point on terry wright had some nice downfield blocking distractions that, <laughs> that allowed him to get in the end zone uh but i went with the play from boston colleges thought that was more significant because it, it was a play in a game where purdue needed to win and it really helped them
0: kind of get get away from that zero and three start that that makes perfect sense I think what's more interesting to me, the play that the plays that define Rondo Moore to me, and it's happened now several times, is when there'll be a, a, a jet sweep or some kind of pitch or something to him in the backfield and you're like, Oh, that's like a three yard loss. Or like, oh no wait, it's a touchdown. Or it's or it's even just like a two yard gain. Like he that's the element that he brings to this team that I have not seen on the field in a while, is he takes the negative and turns it into a positive in a way that just your average college football player can't do. Mm -hmm. That's how you know you kind of got a special guy here.
1: When he had a touchdown in the Boston, another touchdown in the Boston college game that was just like a five or six or seven yard pass that was just a short pass Mm -hmm. where the defender came up and
0: he just kind of like – get away from me right
1: (laughs) right and just waltzing into the end zone
0: and that's the other thing like we all heard about his speed but until you get here and you see him doing the 600 pound (laughs) squat or whatever again you start to see okay we're in a different dimension here and there's things he can do that that other people can't however i think it's important that purdue has found someone to step up opposite of that too i mean teams are going to at some point concentrate on Rondell Moore or try to take him out of a game, he becomes a bigger part of the game plan. So who else in this Steven core is going to step up? And you already mentioned the guy in Isaac Zico, who I think has in these last four games. And I think it's probably not a coincidence that A, it's come with Moore's development, B, it's come with Purdue deciding to take some shots downfield and be more aggressive, and that fits his skill set a little bit. But you're starting to see him a year behind schedule by his own um standards but finally step up and start to be that guy on the perimeter that blau can look to or whoever happens to be the court but it's been blau can look to either in the red zone or just for getting those chunk plays down the down the sidelines that this offense is going to need to have opposite of more opposite of these guys who are running the ball pretty well
1: yeah it's, it's there's a lot of comparisons uh between uh, zico and anthony Mahungu uh because Mahungu needed to be that guy Throughout the year, and he wasn't. There were moments, mm-hmm. but not enough of them. And it wasn't until the Iowa game last year where he stepped up and made a couple plays, and then the IU game, and then obviously the the, the game winning touchdown in the bowl game. But people forget that he was actually benched in the right. bowl game <laughs> right. for poor performance. Right, and then they had, he was a guy that was rotated in and out a lot last year because he just was he just wasn't consistent enough. You know, I think Zico not think just Zico's basi- a better player. Well, I think he's a he's he's a more refined football player right. than than Anthony, and that's not all Anthony's fault because he where he came from sure. and, and when he got involved in the sport. But Zico is is clearly ahead of that pace that what Mahungu was doing last year. Uh, not just on sheer number of just on just because it's six games, but also just as you mentioned, he's just more talented. And football's more more ingrained in him than it was uh, uh, Anthony. But they need him to continue, and they need other guys to do it too. But I, you know, I think he's probably the most improved guy uh, on the offense right now. Um, you know, you could you probably look at a lot of different players and, and say that, but I, with with what his role has been and what it needs to be, um, he, he's the he's the guy that I think has made the most strides since the end of. You know when you when you start training camp to to now.
0: I mean, listen, egg on our face, but going into last year, the thought of Anthony Mahangu being this team's co-offensive player of the year for a, a team that was going to go and not just make a bowl but win one, we would have laughed at that. And, and then we still do. <laughs> but we saw it happen. We saw, and not just the, and more importantly than us seeing it happen, Isaac Zico saw it happen. And just from talking to him after the game on Saturday, you could tell that that made an impact. He saw a guy who was on nobody's radar, who had been a fringe role player for his entire career to that point comes in and not only has that impact on that season, he gets looks from NFL team after the season. He's in camp with an NFL team after the season. That's what Isaac Zico wants to be. And he saw a plus B equals C and you and that's why he put in the work in the off season. You're seeing it, it start to pay off. Um, most overlooked position or player or thing. Well, I from the put first the half. offensive
1: line just because, first of all, that's always the case. They don't get, um, they never get the their recognition, and uh, or they they only get the recognition when they're called for holding <laughs> or or a penalty. Uh, but I think this. I think the group has held up pretty well, uh, as as I mentioned before, twelve sacks, but not all that's on them. The running game has been solid, uh, I think. Um, so I mean, I think that group and their continuity, and they had four starters coming back, and then you added Dennis Edwards to the mix. and then you got Shane Evans back, um, that you, I think Shane came back probably in game three uh, against Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. Since then, you know, that group has been pretty,, um, you know, the continuity has been there, and you know, I just like the way that they, they they've kind of held up and played. Uh, and, and, have done what they've, you know, what, what they've needed to do, uh,
0: in the first six games. If you've got a power rushing team, that's where an offensive line, a lot of times gets a lot of credit, but otherwise they sort of seem to be the same way you would look at like a baseball umpire. It's like the less you notice them, the better, unless they make some mistake, unless they completely get blown on a pass rush, unless they are committing some holding penalty or something at a crucial time. That's the only time you notice them they don't get a lot of credit for simply keeping the quarterback upright and, and helping the offense just sort of slide downfield. And I think you're right. I think we thought that it would be a solid unit potentially, not maybe a, a great unit within the Big Ten even, but that there, there was enough experience here to kind of push things forward, and I think that's, that's held up here in the first Well, the hour. one thing
1: they needed to do was just maintain. Yeah. That was number one. And if you got improvement out of them, that was a bonus. They couldn't take a, they could, they couldn't take a step back. Right. And I don't think they have, and they've probably made, they've probably made improvements. Uh, I, I'm not a, I can't look at an offensive line and tell you that. Maybe I should admit that, but uh, <laughs> well, I, I just know they haven't. They haven't been. They were not the reason, in my opinion. They were zero mm-hmm. and three. Correct. Right. But they've contributed to them winning three straight.
0: Certainly. Yeah. When an offense is is firing on all cylinders the way it has been the last three weeks, four weeks, I guess we include the off week um, you've got to give some credit to the offensive line it can't happen without that I also think we have to remember we talk a lot about um, well Jeff Brom hasn't brought in his quarterback yet and they're only starting to bring in the receivers they want and everything well the offensive line plays into that too a lot of times coaches have a very specific concept of what they want to put on offensive line a lot of times those guys come in and, and redshirt they don't necessarily play right away as freshmen so that's maybe the area of the team that Takes the longest to turn over when you are bringing in a new coaching staff.
1: Well, he, yeah, and Jeff, if you if you look at their recruiting a little bit uh, closer on the offensive line and the defensive line, they're getting bigger guys. Uh, you know, just some of their recruits that are, that are coming in for visits are are, are six five and six six. So uh, they they want a bigger offensive line, and Jeff knows that really for his offense to take the 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 big big step that. They've got to have a strong offensive line. They've got to have a bigger offensive line than what they've had. They've, they're they're making they they've made do these first two years with what was left over from the the Hazel era and turned them into a pretty solid group.
0: And you got to. Get then bigger quarterbacks as a result. Correct. <laughs> you may not be able to as good as David Blau has played this year. I don't know how he would do behind a line of six six guys all the way across. Yeah, Drew Brees did all right. He that's okay. Uh, and I'm not comparing Blau to Brees. No, you you can make that comparison if you'd like. Um, I will joke with him about that. <laughs> I'm will, sure he and I bet you. Like, yeah, you're, joke just a, back.
1: you're just a six foot quarterback from Texas, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that actually plays right into David Blau's personality. I would say. Yes. Think. Yes. It um, does. Players to watch
1: in the second half. Like well, we I think keep- the one that I've I, I, I want to focus on is Jared Sparks, um, and I think if he catches if that catch against Missouri is ruled a touchdown, I think you're looking at a, a different confidence level for the guy. I mean, he's yeah. he's kind of um,
0: he's had some injury issues in here. Yeah, too. a
1: little bit of injuries. I think the ankle still bothers him a little bit, but he's also. Um, he's just been in a rut. And some of that is just not getting targeted enough. Mm -hmm. And that was expected when you had Rondell. I mean, Rondell is way out in front in targets with this team, and he should be. Uh, So there's less opportunities for guys like Sparks and Wright and Zico. But when they they get those opportunities, they have to take advantage of them. Uh, But I I think he's a guy that is – I think he can can step up and make some plays in the second half. Uh, He would seem to have the size – and uh, you know potentially the speed to to create some separation against some of the defense bigger defensive backs they're going to face in the second half of the of the year.
0: I liked what they did with him on Saturday, using him in some different situations. Um, I think you could probably see some more of that as a change of pace. That was, opportunity. All, that was all for Ohio State to study. That was all. <laughs> I, I still think that may be true, but I actually think it's – it's the reason it, it's effective is because it's not ludicrous that they would try to use him in that right. situation because he has a background as a quarterback, and he's, he's, he's shown enough on a football field that you want to get the ball in his hands. Um, and similarly, I'm, I'm curious to see how Xander Horvath role might grow in the second half they obviously have two running backs who are really running well together as a tandem right now in dj knox and markel jones but having just that a guy who you can use sort of like which with richie worship last year they're not exactly the same kind body wise but i would think he's a guy that you could use in multiple capacities
1: yeah i think short yardage situation third down situations um you know he's a guy that's that's you know it's caught a, at least two passes i think uh, this season, and then he got his first uh, rushing carry, and then um, his first uh, touchdown the other day. So I think he's in. I think he's in good shape. Uh, he did score the other day, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> I was trying to think. Okay, did he score? Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's going to come in and just. I think situational stuff. He's not going to be an every-down back for you, and he plays a bigger role on special teams. And I, I think that that's where he's going to be the second half of the year.
0: If we're picking first half surprises, my biggest surprise of the first half would still have to be um, not a positive surprise for Purdue, but losing that Eastern Michigan game at home, and especially in the way they did it with just, just kind of giving it away in a few different facets, whether it was special teams, whether it was some costly um, penalties, that still looms for a team that had so much kind of at stake in that game and in such a favorable position at home, it, just, it was a game that they couldn't lose. And that was maybe because of what we saw the year before where they seemed to just keep coming through in those situations. Um, to give away a game like that that sort of really changes the complexion of your season potentially still kind of looms as the biggest surprise. And in some way still sort of defines the first half, even though they made this surge at the end. They had to in order to, to make the second half of the season um keep keep some of those goals attainable really um what stands out is a possible biggest surprise of the first half for you
1: well from a game standpoint that's it um you know when when we get to the end of the year and you add them up we'll see how much that that hurts them mm-hmm. i mean they, they still have a chance to overcome it uh it wouldn't be out of the question for them to overcome that uh but you if you didn't lose that game and everything played out, you'd be sitting at four and two with a little bit more cushion cushion, and not the – maybe the the sense of urgency. But I do think the loss kicked them into a sense of urgency mode that has carried over mm-hmm. these last three games. So do you get the same kind of spirited play that you had against Boston College, Nebraska, Illinois – Knowing your back is against the wall, if you had won that game, I, I don't, you know, I don't. It, it's so hard to
0: predict that after the fact. Yeah, you'd mm-hmm. you'd like to think that the coaching staff and or the veteran players on this team would have made that point, even if they had found some way to barely win that game. So then you could have gotten the positives out of it without. But uh, you know, to to cross sports, you know, Matt Painter has talked about this before about how sometimes you learn from a loss in a way that you can't learn from playing poorly and still winning the game it's sometimes you have to you know that loss really burns into your brain the way that a win doesn't so maybe in the long run they'll look back and say well it it was a team that was going to be six and six anyway they just got to it a different way right and it happened because i maybe but we'll see but right now that still is it it puts their backs against the wall still a little bit as they go in the second half as far as being able to get back to a postseason situation yeah no question
1: i mean they've they don't have really a, a big margin for error in the second half just
0: For a lot of reasons, but number one, just who they're playing. Well, speaking of that, Saturday night, 7.30 at Ross-Ade Stadium, Ohio State comes to town. Number two team in the nation, which is the first time a number two team here since... 99. Penn State Uh, in 1999. Yeah, Penn State was undefeated. Came in here and won the game. So, Ohio State's good. Tell us about them.
1: (laughs) They're really good. And they're probably uh, good because of their quarterback, but... They're good, not because they run the ball, because they throw the ball. And Mm -hmm. I, in listening and watching Jeff Brom talk about Ohio State, he seemed kind of jealous. (laughs) He's like, "Hey, these 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 guys have good athletes across the board. They got playmakers all around, and they throw the ball." He seemed like, "Hey, that's a (laughs) that's a good situation uh, to have." And I, you know, I did some number crunching Um, when you look at the the four Big Ten games that they played, Ohio State, and when you look at the Big Big plays and big plays are usually defined by twenty yards or more. Um, they have twenty-three big plays of twenty yards or more in the four big count, Big Ten Big Ten games. Excuse me, uh, nineteen of them have been through the air. So eighty-two percent of their uh, their production in big plays is coming through the air. Now Purdue in that same situation, they've played one less game, but they're at sixty-eight mm-hmm. percent. Uh, but it just shows you what Ohio State wants to do, what they're good at. They can run the ball, but their preferred method is through the air. And they've got big receivers. They've got talented guys on the perimeter. um, And their quarterback is just – Dwayne Haskins has just been lights out. I mean, he's – if he doesn't win the Heisman, he'll probably finish second. right? As of right now. Depends on some other things going on. But, you know, here's a guy that's completing 70% of his passes. um, Probably better than that. And I think 28 touchdowns and four Uh, interceptions. He's the first Ohio State quarterback uh, in in program history to throw for two 400-yard games in the same season. Okay, now they used to be a cloud of dust back in the day. So that's maybe not a big surprise, but when you've done something for the first time at a program like Ohio State, it, it's pretty significant. And
0: well, any—I don't care if it's BYU—you still threw for 400 yards twice <laughs> in a season. We're only up to week six. That's still pretty good. Yeah,
1: that means you're on a good pace. He's on a great pace. He I means basically on a pace to throw um, 55 touchdown passes or 50 touchdown passes, whatever right. it is. Defensively, uh, you know, I think that's where Purdue can have some success. I, you know, I'm. I'm confident Purdue can put up some
0: points in this game. I just don't know if they can put up enough um, it's like the 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 Missouri matchup but then another power of ten like beyond that yeah like,
1: um, I, I you know I, I, Ohio State has some issues on defense and they won't get all uh, get all the way solved in part because uh, Bosa won't be back this week and I'm not sure when he'll be back so you're taking a potential NFL draft pick. Out of the, out of the rush. So, um, but I, I do think Purdue can can move the ball against them and put up some points, uh, and get and get in the end zone. Uh, but it's a different kind of defense than Purdue has faced all year. They're going to be they're going to be they're going to be quick. They're going to be athletic. They're going to jump passes. Uh, they're going to be able to apply more pressure on the quarterback from just the front uh, four. Uh, so. Everything has to work in rhythm on offense for Purdue. David Blau can't hang on to the ball for an extended period of time. And it might be a situation where he only goes through one or two progressions and then tries to figure out a way out uh, at that point uh, because he'll get sacked a lot. Um, so it's, it's a different – while the defensive numbers for Ohio State are not overly impressive – they bring that different element that Purdue
0: really hasn't seen this year, and that's just overall speed and athleticism on that side of the ball. When you look at the success that Purdue's defense has had these last three weeks, you know they played a team that they matched up pretty well with, I thought, in Boston College. And then you play the two spread mobile quarterback teams, but and both those teams went down and scored first in those games, Nebraska and Illinois both, and had some success early. I thought Nick Holt, Purdue, whoever, however you want to say made good adjustments from there Took you know the early downs away from them and forced them into passing situations, and that's where Purdue could have success. But I don't think that necessarily means that Purdue matches up well against teams that throw the ball like this. And I think this goes back to the conundrum that they faced early in the year, which is they can't. It's hard for them to bring a pass rush and really sell out on the pass rush because you can only trust this secondary so much. But if you don't bring the pass rush, you're giving a great quarterback and some great weapons a lot of time to make plays. And we saw this against Missouri. We saw it in some of the games before that where, you know, on those, in those one-on-one situations, the opponents were winning those plays. And I think that's something they have to reverse. Obviously on Saturday,
1: I would be shocked if we don't see a constant barrage of pressure. I mean, you have to trust either your front or you have to trust your back half. That's it. it throughout the game, you're going to have to trust both, mm-hmm. but you can't give them the time. So basically you have to trust the back half. Because we saw what happened against Missouri when Drew Locke had eons of time to to sit back there and find the receivers that he wanted to find, and they're going to come open. They just it's just the way it works. So I, I would expect Purdue to be um, as aggressive as it's been, and that's probably going to be a, a bunch of different disguises and you know times faking blitzes, and then. Jumping back or not or coming, bringing the house at the very last minute. I just think I think you'll see a multitude of of, of pressures that you probably haven't seen this year uh, because this is the way they have to play, um, they, and they and they need to play this way. And you have to play with that edge. And Jeff Brown has made a point of that since he started pushing the ball up the field against Missouri. This is the way that this team right now offense and defense they have to play they have to just they just have to go for it and if you go for it and you still get beat by 15 20 points yeah all right give it your best give it your best shot I mean I think it'll serve them well uh, uh, toward the end of the year if they keep doing it and I think the fact that this is the this is this is the way they've been playing helps them because if you haven't been playing like this and then all of a sudden hey we need to be aggressive against Ohio State oh, okay, but this is just kind of how they play right now, and this is how they have to play, regardless if they're playing Ohio State or they're playing Illinois like they played last week.
0: Yeah, and I think what I should say is one thing I think they have been doing these last few weeks is really dialing up the pressure in smart ways at smart times. They've been really picking their spots well. There was a – Thieneman came in on a blitz and got a sack the other day. Cornell Jones had been making an impact there, so – I, I think that it's 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 just I'm, – I'm interested to see how that's going to balance out because I, I think that the weapons that Ohio State has is going to leave Purdue maybe more vulnerable. But I think you're right. I think you kind of have to just uh, take your best shot because that's what's been working. Then. Well, and
1: also you're going to have to trust your offense to get the ball in the end zone. And I, I I a lot will probably be dictated how this game unfolds early if Purdue does see itself moving the ball and scoring some points then your defense is probably going to take more chances because the offense has your back. Now, it may not, but I don't know if Purdue can just sit back on defense and not rush more than four and hope to to stop them. I just, you know, I don't know. There will be times they'll do that, but I don't think overall that
0: that would be probably the best plan of attack to to try to slow down this team. We'll come back and – Listen to us very very late saturday night or early sunday morning and we'll recap how everything goes down at ross aid stadium in this game Um And uh, you know follow us on twitter i'm at in jc He's mike carmen at carmen underscore jc. We'll be uh covering the game together on saturday night and uh, you know one of the bigger <laughs> One of the bigger games in uh recent purdue history as far as uh, just kind of the the attention that will be on things. So, uh, should be a fun one. Uh, we'll be back next week for our usual midweek podcast. We'll be talking probably a little bit more basketball as we get closer to the season there. Uh, but until then, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Mike Carmen. Thanks for joining us.